Thank you, choir. Fantastic job. And you may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. We have a special guest visitor in the 915 service today. Many of you will have never met her, but that's my wife sitting right over here. <laughs> Amen. She normally comes to the 1115 service, but that's the little lady that puts up with me. Amen. And uh, so when people talk about, I want you to meet my better half, and they always say that as a joke, I'm saying it's serious. She is my better half, and I, uh, she's going to... Um, she's in the earlier service today, planning a little family function this afternoon, so she's here. But I wanted to say, uh, too, that this is a significant Sunday. You will not want to miss the next number of weeks. I'm starting a new series. And our theme this year remains the same. I'm teaching about kingdom principles for an abundant life that help you move into an abundant life. Say it with me, much love, many blessings, and great favor. I want that to be the outcome of your life. And we have been using, we've been using as a text Proverbs chapter number 4, verses 20 through 22. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes and keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. And as I've pointed out each week, that word in verse number 22 that, that says life to all, or health to all their flesh, that word is morphe in the Hebrew. And it means medicine, a prescription to all your flesh, every aspect of your life. For example, last night, um, got in late. <clears throat> Yesterday was one of those kind of trips, I'm telling you. We left Amsterdam and flew over the UK, which is comprised, of course, of, of England, Britain, and Scotland, and then, of course, Ireland. Past Ireland, on our way, headed west over the Atlantic, pilot came on and said, I'm going to have to turn around and land this airplane in Shannon, Ireland. And he said, there are pallets in the cargo bay that are making a noise. So we land, and four fire trucks follow us up to the terminal in Ireland, we first spent an hour dumping fuel. Just fly. I've, I've been on a number of planes that have had to do that, and they're just dumping fuel over the Atlantic. And uh, we landed. First people on board the airplane were firemen. And the pilot, captain came back, and I was talking with him and another gentleman next to me, and he told us privately that these pallets were from the U.S. military in the Middle East. And they started making noise, and he called the military on the phone they said, oh, no problem, nothing to worry about. He said, why is it making noise? They said, well, we don't know. He said, in that case, we do have a problem. <laughs> I'm putting the plane down. It was a loud enough noise they could hear it in the cabin from, uh, and it, that was back in cargo. So we unloaded that, and bottom line is we got in very late last evening. And then I had, um, got, was with somebody on the phone that needed some help, and I was explaining to them your life is made up of seven areas. There's the financial, there's the social, there's the emotional, there is the cognitive, there's the family component, and uh, there is uh, uh, the physical health component, then there's the spiritual. If any one of these get in trouble in your life, it causes you pain. If more than one gets in trouble, it's very uncomfortable. If you have several, that's like a ship that has a huge hole in it 
you, and your life is going down if you don't get some help here, you know? And the one constant factor in all of this is our relationship with God. Because the other six components are affected by, as it were, the ebb and flow of life. By that I mean, how many of you have ever been blessed financially and you've been through some lean times financially? And how many of you know you can't always prepare for every eventuality in terms of your physical health? Give you an example. This eye, thank you so much for your praying. It's, it's better. I didn't know I was going to have a problem when I flew in a couple of weeks ago and the retina would detach and I'd have to have surgery. I've been through some rough places. And so have you in life, physically. Jerry was laughing about it yesterday. Before the surgery, they said, we need to take your medical history. And they said, you ever had surgery before? I said, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They said, how many times? I said, this is my 21st. The lady said, what? said, can you tell me the dates? I said, don't even, don't make me lie. I can't remember all of those. So, oh, just about. So she started naming, you know, we named different things. When was that? I said, about 10 years ago. She said, the next one, about 10 years ago. Next one, 10 years ago. She said, the next one. She said, I know, 10 years ago. I said, you got it, right. I mean, you can't remember all that. You don't plan any of those. You don't plan any of them. The one thing that remains stable in your life, when finances go up and down, health goes up and down, all of the other stuff that can affect your emotions, the one unchanging factor is God never changes. Somebody shout amen. I want to teach you how to anchor your hope in him starting today. Father, thank you for your word. Speak to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Forever transform us through the power of the word of God that is medicine to all our flesh. In Jesus' name we ask it. Everybody said amen. Mark 9, 17 through 24. A man answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit that was in the boy saw Jesus, the scripture says that immediately it threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. Watch this now. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I want you to notice Jesus' response. If you can. The man has just said, if you can do anything. Jesus' response is, If you can. I just came from the Mount of Transfiguration where my garment was transcendent and began transplendent and began to shine like the sun. Moses and Elijah just appeared to me. If you can. Uh Uh-huh. Everything and 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 notice what happens. Everything is possible to one who believes. Immediately the boy exclaimed, say it with me, I do believe. Help me overcome my 
unbelief. Whoa. I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I have faith and doubt at the same time. Starting today, I want to teach us how to overcome our doubts. I want you to notice in our text that the child's father, the boy's father, had faith and at the same time admitted to doubt. The scripture, as I've pointed out, has Jesus asking him the pointed question, if I can, quoting back the man's statement to Jesus, but in the form of a question. Trust me when I tell you that that man right there is not the only man that ever had doubt and faith at the same time. There's nobody that has ever lived who hasn't, including some people that you might be surprised to hear about from the Bible. Look at John the Baptist. He begins the ministry of Jesus, launches Jesus' ministry by proclaiming, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world, and then baptizes Jesus. He's arrested shortly thereafter, put in prison for preaching so plainly about Herod's immorality. And from jail six months later, he sends messengers to Jesus to ask him this question. Now, same guy who six months earlier said, Behold the Lamb of God. Six months later says, Are you the one or should we seek for another? Should we expect somebody else? Matthew 11 and 3. John clearly had times of doubt. And I want to point out to you that his doubts were caused by the circumstances he was walking through. That your circumstances, whether we admit it or not, often affect our faith. Now, why is this important? Because many believers are condemned because they struggle with with faith in certain matters. If their faith takes a nosedive, they feel condemnation. The enemy makes sure they feel condemnation. I want to show you, however, that John was clearly a man of God. Before I finish this series, I'm going to show you that his doubts did not disqualify him. We don't like to think of it this way, but even Jesus, I believe, struggled on at least two occasions with doubt. Being the incarnate son of God, he was fully God and fully man. That is the fullness of God dwelt in him, but he was just as human as I am. And he too was affected by what he went through. You don't believe it? Listen to his prayer in Matthew whenever he is in the garden. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. That sounds very close to me like what Jesus asked the man, if you can. While he's pointing out unbelief in this man, he now finds himself basically forming a very similar question. Another way to phrase this may be to say, Father, isn't there a second option here? (laughs) You know, I don't like what I'm going through. Just wonder if I'm in the right place. But has anybody in this room ever been in places that you wanted to question why you had to go through them? Am I the only one? Amen. I think that we've all been to places where we probably have asked the why question. Again, on the cross, Jesus, Mark 15, cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And which is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
I could spend the rest of my time here today just discussing whether or not Jesus was actually forsaken by God. There are some that adamantly believe he was, some who do not believe he was. I personally am one of those who don't believe that God really forsook Jesus. Jesus took upon himself the burden of sin, felt alienation from God because of it, and his flesh on the cross, having taken on the sins of all of mankind, feels this alienation and separation from God and cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't say Father. In fact, it's significant to point out this is the only place in the Bible where Jesus did not address God as Father. It's the only place in the Bible where he addressed him as God. Why? Because whenever you have doubt, it makes you question your relationship with God. The actual statement that Jesus makes when he says, you know, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's traced back to a messianic Psalms in Psalms 22 verse 1. Here in the gospel, that question, why have you forsaken me, is not answered. But in the messianic Psalms, Psalms 22 it is. Listen to Psalms 22 and verse 24. For he, speaking of God, has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. Who was the afflicted one? Jesus. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. The psalmist prophetically said God did not reject Jesus Christ. Didn't turn his back from him. To the contrary, whenever God looked at Jesus on the cross... He was pleased to accept the offering and sacrifice of his beloved son in behalf of our sins. He didn't reject him, he accepted him. That's my opinion. I don't think it's anything worth anybody fighting over. But I will tell you quite frankly, I think what Jesus was experiencing was the alienation that comes when one feels their heart is condemned. That's why he called him God instead of Father. When every other place he always called him Father. Similarly, you too will experience times of doubt in your life. And during those times of doubt, you may question your relationship with God. And I want to begin today a series in which I, I hope that I can help you walk through some of this. And when you come to challenging times, turn your doubts into faith. Overcome your doubts and become strong as we Move into this, I just say this as a personal little aside. This is not preacher talk either. I don't think that I will ever, in my time here as your pastor, ever teach anything more important to you than I will be teaching over the next several weeks. In my 24 years here, this past um, May was 24 years. This September will be 23 years as your senior pastor. I don't think I've ever taught anything that is as significant to you long term That's what I'm going to teach today, next week, and over the next several weeks. Our theme this year again, kingdom keys to an abundant life, much love, many blessings, great favor. You don't enjoy that if you don't have faith. So I can teach about all these things, but if I don't help you have faith, you're not moving into this. So beginning today, these are my subjects for the next several weeks, how to turn your doubt into faith. I'll talk about that today and next week. Secondly... I'm going to then answer, hopefully, life's most important question. Does God exist? 
Third, is the Bible God's word or not? Fourth, evolution or creation, which one is the truth? Fifthly, does God still heal today? Number six, does God still speak today? Number seven, does prayer really work? Number eight, does God really care for me? Number nine, does God have a purpose for my life? And I'll tell somebody, hold on to your seatbelt now. Say, don't, don't pass out now. But I'm even going to preach or teach you on how a Christian should vote. I'll just let that resonate for a moment. Don't worry. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. would never do that. I won't even tell you what party to vote for. But I will tell you that lots of people are asking me in this day and age when you don't know what a candidate stands for. And when some claim to be Christian and you wonder, hmm, <laughs> really? And others are openly defying the teachings of the Bible. I'm having our congregation ask me regularly, Pastor, what am I supposed to do? I mean, you did read about Barney Frank marrying his living boyfriend. You saw that on CNN, right? The news got married yesterday. Barney Frank from Massachusetts, okay? Whenever you have people that are doing this, where does the Christian take a stand? What do we do? When we're talking about any particular candidate, when we're talking about any particular party, somebody said, how do I know when a politician is lying? <laughs> or his lips moving? <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm going to try to teach you how to find a candidate that backs biblical values. And if there isn't one, maybe you ought to go run. Come on, what's wrong with that? Amen? Because Christians need to be active in determining the future of this country. And so let's begin today by talking about how do you turn your doubts into faith. First of all, let's look at the word faith. Hebrews, of course, 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Let's go beyond that. In the Greek, faith literally comes from a word that means persuaded or convinced. This in turn leads us to conclude or surmise that there was evidence that caused one to become persuaded or convinced. It presupposes that there were certain factors that existed that were compelling enough to cause you to arrive at a solid conclusion. Now, having said that, that is why I believe it is perfectly okay for us to examine some of the basic tenets of faith that I will be talking about here. Every day you're hearing it. Anybody believes in creation is a fool. You believe in God, ha, 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 the God delusion, Richard Dawkins, all these other people, openly ridiculing people who have faith. With all of this going on, we as believers, I firmly believe this, strongly believe this, need to know why we believe the things we believe. I don't think it's, I don't think it's, it's wrong to look and find a reason. I think it's noble and God honors it. The, peop- the Bible says they of the people of Thessalonica were more noble than those of Berea, those of Berea, because they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was preaching was true. God didn't condemn them for not just blindly accepting it. He actually said they were noble because they cared enough to seek for solid reasons to support what Paul was saying. I want to give you solid reasons that will help you and your family. In years to come, because trust me when I tell you the assault is not going away and the war is not going to get any easier 
But apparently, it's becoming more pronounced and severe. And people who have faith better know why they believe what they believe. Can somebody in the building say amen? Amen. Faith can have any number of different nuances of meaning. For example, used to, there was a time on applications and forms you would fill out for government, for employment, others. What faith are you? Meaning, what is your religious persuasion? That's one of the definitions of faith. It's what's your persuasion in terms of religious beliefs. Are you Jewish? You Catholic? You Protestant? You Pentecostal? You Baptist? And there's a little place there for you to fill that in. Growing up in a Pentecostal church in Lake Charles, Louisiana, which is strongly Catholic, I received more than my fair share of people making fun of me when I would write Pentecostal in that little space that I just mentioned, and some of you may have, as Baptist or whatever, received equal uh, amount of ridicule. Faith can also mean something else than that. There's not only your religious persuasion, it means that, and again, the word persuasion means convinced. Whatever evidence you've seen has led you to draw this conclusion. Faith can also mean that you believe certain things, and you can do this, notice, to the exclusion of other things. That is, a person can believe in God very strongly and be persuaded and yet not be persuaded that God heals. That's interesting, right? Okay? There's a very bright light right over here. If you don't mind, I'd like for that to be turned out. Thank you. Shining in my eye. It's, it's, this eye is hugely dilated and it affects me. Okay, thank you. But at any rate, not only do people have faith in God and maybe don't have faith in healing, some maybe have Faith in God and believe in evolution. I don't know how those two can stay within one person for very long without leading to some serious conflicts that will undermine one or the other. But some people do that. Some people are deists. They believe in deism. What that means is they believe in God. He was the divine watchmaker that created the the watch that is the world, wound it up, set it on the mantle, and walked out of the universe and left it alone and doesn't answer prayer. So you can literally have people who believe in God who do not believe that God involves himself in the world today. Jesus addressed those. In his day, they were called Sadducees. They didn't believe in anything supernatural, but they did believe in the existence of God. There are so many different nuances of faith. And so... It can also be looked at from a different perspective in terms of faith as to your conviction about what you're persuaded to believe. There are actually four levels of faith. Watch this. The first is prayer answering faith. That's the most basic, simple level of faith that exists. That level of faith is often possessed by people who don't even know God, who are not even believers. Trust me, if you've been in ministry as long as I have, you've received more than one phone call from somebody who's not a member of a congregation anywhere, but whose child is sick or their marriage is in trouble or they have lost their job and they need God to intervene. Pastor, if you'll pray for me, I believe God will turn things around. I ask who they are. Do you have an experience with God? No, I don't go to church. You believe her? No. They have faith to believe that God can answer a prayer, but they don't have faith to believe that God can keep them saved. And I've actually talked to people and witnessed to people And they say, Pastor, I struggle. I believe God will answer my prayer, but man, I mean, this stuff out here, you know, I I, I can try, but I just don't, I can't see myself living for God. I just, you know, it just doesn't work for me. I know he's able. They always say that. I know he's able. 
And that's why I ask you to pray for my, my sick baby. But, you know, I, I'm not a believer, not a Christian. But I have faith God answers prayer. Second level is saving faith. That's a higher level than the first because you actually have to then believe that not only does God answer prayer, but he can save you and keep you saved. And trust me when I tell you that I have not kept myself saved all these years. It's been somebody bigger than me that's keeping me. Oh, come on. Now somebody in the building say amen. And I got news for you. No matter how strong you think you are, you haven't been keeping yourself either. Amen. It's by the grace of Almighty God that we're here this morning. His grace has kept us. The third level is what I simply call miracle working faith. In my years of working with people in the church, I've noticed different levels of faith exist. You can say, "Ah, I don't know if I believe that or not. Just work with as many people as I have, and you'll see what I'm talking about. And I will tell you that only a few reach that third level of faith, and that's miracle working faith. That might not even be your pastor. And usually if there's somebody in the church that has reached that point, nearly everybody in the church ends up learning who that is, and they get their back against the wall and get in a struggle, and they're, they're up against it, as it were. My grandma used to talk about being between the devil and the deep blue sea. <laughs> if you ever between the devil and the deep blue sea, you need a miracle. You may not call the pastor, it's sister so-and-so you call, because she's got miracle-working faith. There's another level beyond that, and that is what Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians as the gift of faith as he enumerates a number of the spiritual gifts. I don't believe all of them are represented there, but he does mention a gift of faith. Now, what is the gift of faith? I believe personally it's not God enabling you to believe more strongly about him because the first three, I think, are human faith. The problem with human faith is that it's always subject to what you're going through, as I said a while ago. When everything is good, praise God, you're full of faith. You know, you walk into a hospital room, believe God, brother, God will heal you, raise you up off that bed. You in the hospital room, you get out of here, don't talk to me about that. I need to give me some medicine. Where's the morphine, you know? I want that pump. <laughs> you know, it's different when it's you. Not my brother or my sister, it's me, oh Lord. Hey, hey you know what I'm talking about. And, and, the gift of faith is not your faith being increased. It's God giving you his faith. God is gifting his faith to you. What's the difference between the two? Your faith is what you believe about God. His faith is what he believes about himself. And whereas your faith is always affected by your circumstances, trust me when I tell you that God's never seen a thing that's ever made him doubt himself. His faith is the same no matter what happens. No matter what you're going through, no matter how bad or how good it is, God always is convinced it's possible as far as he is concerned. Oh, somebody in the building say amen here today. This is literally what Jesus meant when in the gospel of Mark chapter number 11, the disciples came to him and Jesus said, have faith in God. When he cursed the fig tree, they wanted to know how that was possible. He said, have faith in God. When you look at the Greek, what it literally means is have God's faith. You see, I think where we go wrong is we pray God increase our faith. And we ought to be praying, God, let me believe about you what you believe about yourself. God, don't let my faith, which is affected by circumstances, be the issue here. Put your faith in me, God. Amen. Oh, somebody in the building ought to shout hallelujah. Because no matter what you're going through, 
God is convinced he is the I am, the I am. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. Similarly, there are four different kinds of doubt. The first level and the most severe is unbelief. Doubt and unbelief. This form of doubt, unbelief is literally, let me say it another word, disbelief. It is the opposite of faith. In other words, it is negative faith. It is not believing what God is saying to be true. It is believing the opposite, taking a position that is polar opposite from what God has just taken. God said, you can, you say you can't. God said, you're healed, you say, I don't believe it. And the problem with this kind of unbelief is it stems from two different sources. One of these these is benign, the other is malevolent. And we need to be able to discern the two. The first, according the, the, the Greek word literally means unbelief that is caused by either an absence of knowledge or self-will and pride. Arrogance, in other words. Absence of knowledge can be corrected. All you have to do is provide the information that has been lacking. This is why in Acts 19, verses 1, 2, 2, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior. King James says he passed through the upper coast. And to Ephesus, and there he found certain disciples and said to them, Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, No, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Spirit. Starting right there, he asked them, How were you baptized? They said, Under John's baptism. And beginning at that point, he began to preach John's fulfillment was in Jesus' coming. Everything John preached came to pass in Christ. And he led them through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and prayed for them. They received the Holy Spirit on the spot. They had unbelief. That is to say, there was no faith because there was no knowledge that was present. But as soon as knowledge was provided, guess what happened? Faith was generated. That's different than the other kind of unbelief. Again, The absence of knowledge can cause unbelief. This is why Paul says, how shall they call on him in whom they have not heard? Or how how can they they believe in him in whom they have not heard? He he goes on to to ask the question in the book of Romans chapter number number 10. Let me read it here for you. Romans, uh, uh, let me find it here. Romans 10, 14. Even Paul asked, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how can he preach unless he's sent? So Paul says there has to be an impartation of knowledge. Somebody has to receive knowledge to overcome that kind of unbelief. But the very same word has in it another form of unbelief. And that is unbelief rooted and based in arrogance and self-will, pride. And that's whenever you just fold your arms and say, this is what I believe, you know. Uh, like they, uh, no offense to any Baptist, Baptist born, Baptist fed, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. You know, uh, that kind of, a, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, when you take that kind of a position, that's arrogance. That's that kind of unbelief. You reject everything just because, you know, this is the way you were brought up. We're supposed to have open hearts to the things of God. We're supposed to search the scripture to see if what we're hearing is true. And not take positions of arrogance. This is why in in 2 Peter 3 verse 5, the Bible says, For this they willingly forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old. The earth standing out of the water. Speaking of creation. People willfully make a decision to embrace evolution, though it is still a theory that has never been proven, as I will show you in this series. 
No evidence at all to support it. None. And in fact, some of the greatest physicists in the world said that you have to just accept it in the same way Christians accept by faith what they believe. And one of them said that for the world to have just evolved the way it is, he said, is, is a bigger miracle than if a tornado blew through a junkyard and a 747 got formed in the process. He said, there's no evidence for it. And they openly admit there is no evidence. And if you search it, you will understand that, which is why I need to talk to you about this. They willfully, see the word will there? Their will is involved. And again, you read on in Romans 12 and 5, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. And then in verse number 8, God says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind. They didn't want to retain it. Confronted with it in arrogance and self-will, Paul said what they did was folded their arms and rejected it. That kind of unbelief is sin. And the only way to address it is through repentance. And say, God, I humble myself before you. And I open my mind and whatever you teach me and show me is what I will accept as truth. So the worst kind of doubt is this one. But it comes from two sources. Either a lack of credible knowledge, which can be fixed, or self-will. You have to be strong enough and honest enough to self-assess. And look at your heart and say, where does my unbelief come from if that's the case? There's a second level of unbelief that we need to talk about, and that is no faith. The second level of doubt is not this hard rejecting of truth form of unbelief that is a sin. It's simply you don't have faith, period. Amen. There is no faith. Jesus spoke of some who had no faith, and he said they were faithless. Faithless. They had no faith. Faithless. Less. They didn't have any. You know, without faith. And that's different than just solid, rigid unbelief, arrogance, where when confronted with truth, you reject it. The third level of doubt is a little different. And the word there is simply to waver. And you find Jesus using this in Matthew 21, verses 21 through 22, where he says, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you can do what was done to this fig tree. You can also say to the mountain, go throw yourself in the sea. And he said, if you will believe, you will receive what you ask for in prayer. He said, if you do not doubt, the word doubt there means faith that is wavering. Now back to what I was teaching you about the difference in our faith and God's faith. Whenever you have human faith only, trust me, your faith is going to do this number. John the Baptist did. And who are we? You're going to go through some stuff. Hey, I've been there. Like I said, this lady's taking my medical history and 21 surgeries that I've walked through. I'm not boasting. I'm just telling you, I've been through some stuff. Oh, yes, I have. And whenever you go through that, trust me when I tell you, some of the prayer ministry comes in. Oh, praise God, Pastor, how are you? Just in Jesus' name, you get up and get out of the bed. And I won't say, get out of here. <laughs> Morphine, please. Where's that pump? Amen. Oh, but you must not have faith. You need to have faith for me then. Amen. I'm the one going through the rough place. My faith is wavering. I'm going to admit it. I'm not going to lie to you. 
I'm going to tell you, right now I'm in a low place. That's what I would tell you. you know, don't you come in there and condemn me for that. You're such a man of power for the hour. You have faith. Amen. And the Bible said, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy. I've used that verse on more than one occasion. Let me see your faith. And then I'll get up and walk. Amen. Get out of this bed. No, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing you, but really, sometimes we don't understand human faith does go through cycles, the ebb and flow of life, the circumstances, the ups and downs. We're not nearly as steady in our human faith as we might think. We can waver. And this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. They're seeing miracles, but they're still wavering in their faith. So we have three conditions of doubt. Unbelief, no faith, faith that wavers, and finally, the fourth level is little faith. That's different than even the others. Amen. Because in little faith, ladies and gentlemen, it means you have faith and it's not wavering, but it's just small. <laughs> the Greek word literally there means to be puny. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 8. Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? He didn't say you don't have any faith. He didn't say you're in unbelief. He didn't say your faith is wavering. He said, I see faith, but it's small. It's puny. Now, I have a word for those, uh, of advice for those of you who are puny. Amen. And your faith. Most things that are puny can be strengthened. If you are puny in your muscles, go to the gym. No pain, no gain. The very thought of those words repulses me. I know, and you too, right? But sometimes we have to go through it because puny faith can be made stronger. Amen. It can be increased. How? Faith comes not by hearing. Uh, uh, faith comes by hearing and that by a word of God. Faith doesn't come through sight. It comes by hearing God's word. Oh, somebody in the buildings say praise the Lord with me right now. <clears throat> In this series, I want to help you. Why? Because this is what I have observed as a pastor. Being around people of faith doesn't actually, watch it, underline it, underscore it, italicize it, put it in bold print, capitalize it, blow it up. Being around people of faith does not strengthen your faith necessarily. It supports you in your faith, but doesn't necessarily add to your faith. On the other hand, being around unbelievers can weaken your faith. And that's why our kids grow up in churches and are surrounded by, uh, by believers, but their faith is never strengthened because we never give them the reasons to believe. We just tell them, praise God, come to church, hallelujah, worship the Lord, and all of that, but we don't really address the questions. And they go off to college in six months in college, and they come back and they tell us they're agnostics now. And we want look at them. We don't know what the word means. Let me go get the dictionary. It was an agnostic here, you know. And we wonder how could my baby that I prayed over, laid on a church pew, raised in the house of God, dedicated to the Lord when he was born, turn into an agnostic or an atheist and stop believing. It's because he had questions that he never had to address because he was supported in the community of faith. But the first day that he stepped into a classroom, some smart aleck professor started making fun of him and he felt socially ostracized in the classroom and his need for acceptance was so great that he rejected the faith that he had been raised and trained to embrace 
because he had no answers with which to provide solutions to the questions that were hitting him every day. Well, come on, somebody help me out now. And so what are we are going to do? Are we going to live with our faith as, as, as small or wavering? Hopefully not. You know, you do. You, you need to know what causes doubt. Because if you know what causes doubt, if you understand the four dimensions of doubt and the four dimensions of faith, and you understand what causes doubt, then you can address the issues. Okay? It's like the, the juror. <laughs> the defendant was on trial in the state of Oklahoma for murder. And the defense attorney was up making a case. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, they have not been able to locate a body. We do not know that my client, my, this defendant, ever murdered this man. In fact, what you don't realize is in 60 seconds, that door to the courtroom is going to open and the man you think he murdered is going to come walking through the door. There was noise in the courtroom. Everybody waited, counted down to the last Two seconds, one second, and the defense attorney kept watching. The door never opened. Fifteen seconds more passed by. He looked at the jury, and he said, I have to admit that I misrepresented the truth to you. But he said, I did it deliberately to show you that if you have doubt as to whether or not this man was truly murdered, and you looked at that door expecting him to come through, you cannot Cast a vote and say, my client is guilty because you have doubt. Watch it now. Jurors file out of the room. They're back in 15 minutes. And when asked for the verdict, they say guilty as charged. The defense attorney says, how? You all looked at the door. You, were, you thought the man could come walking through. They said, yes, we did. But we noticed the one person who didn't was your client. He wasn't expecting that man to come walk. <laughs> what causes your doubt? Amen. Where do our doubts come from? Number one, first there is an enemy. The enemy does not want you to live with fullness of favor. Much love, many blessings, great favor. No, he's going to try to steal that from you. So he's positioning you to doubt because he knows that all four forms of these doubt stand in your way of receiving everything God has. Secondly, there is our fleshly nature. This flesh doesn't want to do what's right. And really, given the choice in the absence of real convincing evidence, of real persuasion, of real conviction, guess what happens? If I have a choice of doing whatever I want to do and going out and partying, you know, pate, you know, or coming to church and denying the flesh, I'd rather the flesh listen to the professor that says there is no God. Why? Because his flesh wants to go pate or whatever it is you do. You hear what I'm saying now? So the flesh creates unbelief. It chooses to because it wants to indulge itself in things that it knows it cannot embrace if faith and God are realities. Number three, there are sociological pressures that affect us and work against us. 
If you've ever studied sociology, you know you're socialized into a particular context or group or family of origin. And then whatever the norms, the taboos, the moors of that society are, your need for acceptance is so strong that you will subconsciously begin to associate and form your life to the beliefs of those that are your peers just so they will accept you. Which in reverse is why kids reject the teachings of the church when they get in a hostile teaching environment in a university where somebody laughs at their conviction and their belief. Sociological pressure. People have actually been proven. It's been proven. They will reject what they know is absolutely undisputably the truth to please the group they're a part of and be accepted. Amen. They value human acceptance that much. Number four, or let me before I go on from that, say, I just want to say this about acceptance. Nobody that's ever made breakthroughs, nobody that's ever experienced breakthroughs can allow acceptance to be the chief factor that motivates them and determines their course of action. If acceptance is what mattered most, Christopher Columbus would have never set sail for America because they laughed at him. Trust me, if acceptance is what matters, Edmund Hillary would have never climbed to the top of Mount Everest because they said it couldn't be done and laughed him to scorn. On and on and on I could go. The great breakthroughs in medicine and science have all been made by people that did not buckle to the pressure of the group they were a part of. And I want to tell you that in churches, those that have breakthroughs are those that don't cave in and keep on believing God in spite of the pressure they're trying to make them conform. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Number four, the media affects us. Every single day, negative media being pumped out. And I I read one study some time ago where over 90% of all representations of Christians, rather in 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 movies, in, in, in sitcoms, programs on TV, or even in news reports, was always slanted to portray the Christian in a bad light. You say, oh, media doesn't matter much. Oh, really? Then why did they pay $3.5 million for a 30-second commercial on Super Bowl Sunday? Uh, did you know that's what a 30-second commercial costs? $3.5 million. Don't tell me media doesn't affect you. In fact, if you use a certain product in a movie and that product is portrayed in the right way, you can make that product suddenly explode and become the hottest thing going. You don't believe that? Look at what happened to the Mini Coopers after Mark Wahlberg's movie, The Italian Job. Suddenly there were Mini Coopers everywhere. Come on, somebody help me out. And for those of you, of you who are Jason, Jason Statham fans, look what happened to the Audi after the first transporter came out. You hear what I'm telling you? These things have a pronounced impact upon us. And number five, there's the educational systems that affect us, teachers and professors, people we look up to. 
to, that have more degrees than we do, who are regarded in, aca- uh, in academia, people who, who have, have, have long studied things, when they tell us that we're foolish to embrace some things, it begins to cause doubt to be placed in our minds. And then number six, and by the way, thank God for our teachers and professors here who stand for what God's word has to say. Can somebody in the building give them an applause? God bless you and thank you. And number six, not only are these other things, things that cause doubt, our culture affects us. You say, isn't that sociology? To some degree it is, but I'm talking about you have the greater society at large and you have your own particular culture of which you are a part. Which is why in the African-American community, by and large, there's a higher number of people that believe in God than in some other communities. You know why? Because they've held on to it within their culture more than some other cultures have. And I want to tell you, God is not a God of one particular culture. He's a God that needs to be worshipped by every living human being. Amen. And I could go into the reasons why. In, the, in, in poor um, inner city America, church sometimes was the only soulless people got. And they preserved that where some people doing a little better financially thought they outgrew their need of God. We don't ever grow, outgrow our need of God. I need somebody in the building to realize that. Come on, tell somebody, wake up and smell the coffee. We need God. Would you do it? Amen. And finally, number seven, another reason that contributes, another factor that contributes to our doubt is the fact that our approach to faith is wrong. We come to God saying, Lord, like I said a while ago, increase my faith. Dang. Wrong question. Wrong request. You know, wrong petition. What you need to say is, God, my faith will always be affected because I'm a human being. I have highs and lows. I don't like it. I wish I didn't, but you made me. You know my flesh. You know my coming and my going. You know what makes me the way I am. God, let your faith be inside of me. Give me what you believe about yourself. Let me believe about you, what you know to be true. It's never affected by Anything I might be facing at the moment. Now as I wrap this up and close. Will these doubts affect you? Most assuredly. They affect you. Whether you realize it or not. The slow creeping insidious. Doubt. That I'm talking about. To some degree has affected every person in this building already. And we're constantly fighting to hold on to our faith. You say is it a fight? Yeah. That's why Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. Hello. This is why the Bible, Jude said, earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. There's something trying to steal it away. And we have to be as proactive in trying to hold on to faith as the enemy has been in trying to take it away. So these, here's where I'm coming from. You say, why preach? Is there a God? The answer to life's greatest question, is God real? tell you why because there are a thousand voices out there that are saying every day that he isn't and why preach is evolution or creation which one of those is the truth why because if they can ever make you doubt how this world was created and doubt whether there is a God you're going to throw your Bible away you're going to throw everything away before it's over with and trust me when I tell you their arguments are not as strong as they want you to believe they are 
I listened to Richard Dawkins' debate, the guy that wrote The God Delusion. Debate, um, um, let's see, his name was um, William Craig, a professor of religion in, in the state of California. And I, I, Richard, Richard Dawkins was, I mean, it was like he was tongue-tied. This guy ripped him apart. And in arrogance, all Richard Dawkins would say was, yeah, I don't, basically, I don't care what you say, I still don't believe it. That's the unbelief that God calls sin. And this guy is showing him all these other reasons. Another uh, professor said it this way, to believe that this world just randomly got here without a divine creator having put it here. It's so complex. He said for us to believe that anything this complex could just come into existence on its own, he said, is like a hurricane blowing through a printing shop and the Webster's Dictionary gets printed in the middle of it. He said, it's just not going to happen. The DNA code is so complex. He said, it's impossible that that could ever take place. But if they can make you doubt it, then the next thing you're going to doubt is, do I need to go to church on Sunday? And do I need to tithe? And do I really believe in healing? And, and right on down the line until one Sunday, you just say, Texans are playing. I'm not going anymore. And your faith is gone. And these are people that Paul said who concerning faith and conscience have made shipwreck. I don't want anybody to have that happen to you or your children. And so my question is, do doubts affect you? You'll have to come next week and see. But I'll give you this much of a clue. This man cried out, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Good news? He went home with his son delivered. He received a miracle. Why? Because he was honest enough to assess where he was and ask for God's help. And I'm telling you that whenever we open our hearts to God, miracles happen in our lives. Woo! Somebody in the building say hallelujah. Life application points very quick. Six of them. Faith is one of heaven's most powerful kingdom keys. This is why we need to have faith. Number two. Do not be afraid to honestly assess where you are and confess your doubt to God. If you are like the man, Lord, I believe, but I have some questions. Don't hide them and make them go underground. And don't let anybody intimidate you and make you feel you're not spiritual. And don't let the devil condemn you. You confess it to God and say, help my unbelief, Lord. I want to know what your word says. Number three. <laughs> If there's any self-will or arrogance in your doubt, confess that to God and say, forgive me. I want to get my will out of the way. Help me have an humble attitude and be submitted. Lord, I don't want to stand with my arms folded acting like I'm the, the, the fount of all knowledge and pontificate about what I believe and make fun of others who believe differently. Help me to have humility, God. And number four, study what God has to say about the subject you hear what I'm saying? When you're having doubts, pick up your Bible. Look at what God has to say. Study the source, ladies and gentlemen. His word is forever settled in the heavens. And number five, start seeking the faith of God. God, give me your faith. Instead of my own, let me have yours. And number six, watch as it transforms your life. 
and you begin to experience. Say this with me. Much love, many blessings, and great favor. Because if you can receive with faith, something is getting ready to happen to you. Stand across the building with me if you would, please. And come and join me because I want to pray for you right now. Come, let's pray together. I'm going to be very candid and very honest with you in this series. I'm not going to hide behind the pulpit and pretend I'm so spiritual that I'm above all of this. I want to get down on the level where we live and I want to help us. And we're going to walk through some things and we're going to experience transformation. And we're going to find out that God is real. I can tell you already what the outcome will be.